welcome to another episode of What the Tech Am I Doing? I am so excited for you guys to hear this interview. We talked to President and CEO of Vapotherm. It's one of the most advanced respiratory therapies in the world and how they've been treating COVID, how Joe, the CEO, has built the company and the culture, as well as how he got into his position and what he recommends for other people looking to get into a similar leadership position. This is one you don't want to miss. Enjoy. So... This is What the Tech Am I Doing, episode six, and we have Joe Army, CEO uh, and president of Vapotherm. It's one of the most advanced respiratory technologies in the world, and it's actually been, uh, the name's been growing as we're treating COVID, and um, I'm excited to have him on and share his advice. So Joe, if you want to start off and kind of give background, I think you have an interesting story, especially how you became CEO. Um, if you want to just give a high level of that for our audience. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. And I want you to remember that it's worth exactly what you're paying for it. Okay. Which is zero. <laughs> uh, I have a, I have a liberal arts background. I'm a history major. So for all you people who are liberal arts, your parents ask you, what the hell are you going to do with your living? Well, there's, a, there's other things you can do, right? So I came out of college knowing how to read, write, and think. And, you know, ended up in medical technology largely because my mom was diagnosed with cancer and uh, I was already out of business school. I was working in one of these big consulting firms and, you know, long story short, my mom lived for another 17, 18 years and she had end stage lung cancer. It was the damnedest thing I've ever seen. Really, really was amazing. But it really inspired me. By then, Kim and I were married. We had a couple of kids and, you know, going to medical school was not an option. But I did figure that I could maybe help get them better tools in the clinician's hands. And if you can get them better tools, they're going to be able to treat those patients better. And so that's what started me doing med tech. And, you know, it's 22, 23 years or so ago. And uh, I think that was like the best choice I ever made in my life because I, I haven't worked a day in my life. And it's just like the most rewarding thing on planet Earth. So that's how I got in the space. I love that. Um, and then, so you kind of transitioned over, you started with the liberal arts, but then went to, you got your MBA. And then I think people always talk about MBAs and the value of the networking aspect. I think you might be the model student for that. And um, that seems like you had a lot of connections and kind of got your way into, like, you were three for three startups on, you know, successes. So tell us about how you got into those and, and what you knew, how you knew it was the right decision when you w entered each one before you well, got First of all, I'm going to give you a fun fact, which I bet right. you don't know. Did you know that an MBA is the only graduate degree that qualifies you for exactly nothing? <laughs> That's the only reason that you can actually deduct it on your income taxes. You can deduct tuition. So I did that. I took no a way. tax deduction, right? But it's the only graduate degree that doesn't qualify you for a damn thing. And so you know, my, my view on that is generally I could have learned everything they taught me. I could have learned by buying the books and just reading them. <laughs> but um, I could not have built the friendships and the relationships that I have to this day with those people that I went to school with. And they've turned out to be great sounding boards, great friends, just, you know, really good people. When you got a tough problem, you have somebody to call up and talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, whole graduate school thing if I looked at it I managed to work my way through college and pay for it and I don't know how the hell a kid could do that today I just don't think you can right 
I don't care how much you work or how hard you're going to go, unless you're going to do community college, something like that. You know, that's the only path. But I, I, that that whole piece of it, I just don't know about if I would do it again in graduate school. But I, I, have, I went to Wharton. So I yeah, one of the top. The view that I, it's going to be one of the top five schools. I only applied to four of them and said, if I don't get into one of them, I ain't going. And so it worked, right? And I took uh, finance and marketing because that's what Wharton was pretty good at finance and pretty good at marketing. And, you know, I'd already learned all the liberal arts stuff. I, my first job was in sales because I figured, you know, you want to be able to know how to sell stuff. You have to be able to communicate. You've got to be able to share a vision and you've got to excite people and find a way to close the deal and raise the money. And from there, you know, when I get out of graduate school, then it was more in operations and finance. I was doing turnarounds of, of high growth companies that get into financial distress. And that teaches you an awful lot too about you're either going to fix them or you're going to shoot them. And there's really nothing in between. And then, you know, getting to go and build a strategy practice inside there. Once you get them stabilized, how do you make them grow again? So it was really kind of cool in that it was, it was all those different elements. It was sales, it was operations, it was finance, it was all these pieces together and then getting into, you know, startups and you know, I've been lucky as hell and in all of these things. It's just never, ever, ever discount luck because luck <laughs> is all that I've ever had, right? So, you know, really, really well-rounded, sort of jack of all trades, master of none. And then um, figured out that medical technology was going to be my thing. And I've been very lucky that I've been involved in three of these things. And that all three of them have had very, very important benefits for patients. And they've worked. They've turned into pretty big businesses. So that's neat. So I, I just, I think it's the, the psychic energy of being in med tech is <laughs> like nothing in the world. It's, it's just, it's such a good industry to be in because you feel so good about the work that you do every day. And you go to go help them patients. It's very, very rewarding. Yeah. I mean, you say it's luck, but you have to prepare yourself for luck at least. So it, it is a combination. Um, I know you had talked about when you're going into a business, how you know if it's a product versus company and making sure that you don't confuse one for the other. What's mm. your advice on that one? It's real simple. <laughs> you figure out if you got a product or you got a company, right? How do you know the difference? Well, you look at a product, it's it's very niche. Um, it tends to be very narrow. Mm -hmm. It tends to um, solve really only one problem, and that problem is in a very narrow set of patients. A company is, you can sit there and you can go, generally, they call it a platform technology, right? It's probably the most overused word in venture capital today is platform technology. But no kidding, I've been part of three of them. Where you can imagine how that technology is going to go from here to like the next county and all the different <laughs> iterations of it and how you can use that technology to help a wide variety of patients. That is a company. A product is... I've built a technology that could be used to go repair heart valves percutaneously. Mm -hmm. And I think it can work and this is how it can work. Great. That's a product. Don't, don't raise capital to the same magnitude. Those businesses typically trade for anywhere from 50 to 150 million. If you put too much capital into that business, it, it, it's not going to work. Whereas in companies, you know, it could take a hundred to $150 million worth of capital in order to get these things to a point where they self-sustain. That's a massive amount of capital. And so you better be able to build something that's able to serve, you know, millions of patients. Oh, thank you. 
thanks for the definition because I think that's good advice and to I think it's so funny how humble you are because to you you're like oh it's easy it's you know super straightforward and you're like you have the such a different unique mindset uh than most people so things that maybe are more straightforward to you it's interesting to see how your mind works on certain aspects yeah it's simple right if you just like what my wife says if you just think like a 12 year old kid you're probably gonna be in that ballpark <laughs> you're like we're on the same page then That's funny. so on top of you know kind of steering from there i want to talk about vapotherm and the company culture because i think with you leading the company you guys have a very unique company culture in how you do things um to the patients first i mean your walls are splattered with patients and always thinking about the patients and you know your your patient day celebrations and on top of that i remember i mean you've you've grown a lot since um back when i was an intern there but you even hired a trainer and would allow people to come in and and train with you in the mornings and get a workout in and get to know you on a personal level which is something you don't see in the industry and so I want to hear more about the culture, how you've grown it, and especially going as you've grown the company, how you've continued to grow the culture with it. I think you probably see it more in the industry than you think. I don't <laughs> think you're going to see it at Edwards or at you know one of these big giant companies just because they're just so big, right? Mm -hmm. Is the beauty of you know this is the perfect size for me. I like I like small I like small everything. Right? I don't trust big <laughs> government. I don't trust big companies. I don't trust big anything. I like small because I like the people element of it, right? It's very important to me to know everybody's story, to be able to be around them, to just like have a common mission that we're going to go do our thing. If if you ask me the one special ingredient for any of these companies that I've been lucky enough to be involved in, it's a total focus on that patient at the, at, at just ignore everything else. Like this is going to go on my mom. This is going to go on my daughter. This is going to go on somebody that I know. And we're going to give them magical tools. The other thing that I always think about is my mom worked in a factory and she was in a wafer fab on the, on the production floor. And do you know, she was never allowed in the carpeted parts of that, of that plant. And so I hate that. I hate that idea of two classes of, of people, right? So I always want everybody to feel comfortable everywhere in the, in the plant, everywhere. Anybody can go anywhere and you're going to feel at home we're all part of the team, right? If the guys in the production room don't do their job, if the guys doing R&D don't do their job, if the marketing people don't, we're, we're hosed. There's no one part of this business that's not a requirement, right? We're all got to do our job to be, to be making it work. I also don't like uh, a lot of control, right? I'm a libertarian at heart. I hate authority. And so I like people to be able to choose. And anything that, you, that we can do to give our employees choice, right? Mm -hmm. We want our customers to have choice. We don't want to put them into a, into a narrow box. You're like, let you choose what's best for you. And I love that. I think that's so important in our organization, right? Mm -hmm. We also work very, very hard. And everybody understands that this is either going to be the job that you absolutely love the most, or you think we're all insane and you hate <laughs> it and you need to leave because there's no middle. There's literally no middle. Single biggest risk for us as we grew is losing our culture. You know, we all wrote our guiding principles together. Well, now we live that, right? And then we all wrote our business conduct principles together. Literally, I got the entire damn uh, company in the Exeter High School gym, or, or what do you call it, the cafeteria, 
And we yeah. all broke into these tables and we wrote those business conduct principles and then we debated the hell out of them, right? That's Not awesome. very efficient. Not efficient. <laughs> but boy, is it real now, right? Because people mm-hmm. wrote their own. They had their own way to put their handprints on. It wasn't somebody giving you all this training and jamming it down your throat and saying, you, you know, you do this, you do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that culture is, and, and I didn't hire the trainer, Talia. I mean, she, we, joined, we brought her onto the team. We, we built a gym here now in our, new, in our new headquarters. So now it's actually really cool to see what Talia does for work because now Talia not only is a trainer, but now Talia is responsible for our employee wellness. So she runs all of our health insurance. She figures out all the different programs. It's like the coolest thing you've ever seen. So you start with something like that that's a little crazy, and then it just kind of builds and it builds and it builds, and it's really good for our team. She's running three or four days worth, or three or four classes a day up there. Everybody in the plant gets to go. You shouldn't be going to gymnasiums right now because of COVID-19, but you can actually go to ours because we wipe it all down. We're all together, right? It's a, it's a closed bubble. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. No, I love it. I mean, Edwards has a really, we're very similar um, with the patients and trying to create a culture, but it's funny because we're, Vapotherm was my first industry experience. And I think now that I'm older and have a bigger outlook, it's like, I look back at those times and I'm like, wow, that was amazing. You know, seeing how much ahead we were and the everything about it, such a small, and then it's cool to hear that you've grown it where it's like just having one trainer is now we have this whole facility and look at all the different ways we're helping people. So it's, it's nice to hear that even as the company grows, you're still keeping those core values intact. Oh, we better. I started <laughs> doing this thing uh, called listening lunches, right? Because I knew I was, tra- I was traveling a lot in the field, right? It was always half the time was in the hospitals with customers and our, and our field people. So you hear a lot from the field people about what they like that we're doing. I always ask them two questions. Hey, give me the one thing that I'm doing that's hurting our company that you want me to stop. And then give me the other thing that you really like that the company is doing that you want us to make sure that we either do more of or don't, don't forget, right? Literally, it's two questions. Mm-hmm. And I always get that. When you're riding with reps for eight hours, you know, at first they're all freaked out because they're with the CEO. By the end of the day, they're just like, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, they're doing Open up. <laughs> but I never, ever thought about how would I get that at the galactic headquarters? Like how, cause I always walk around a lot, but I wasn't mm-hmm. that same kind of intensive time together where, you know, they it would come out. So I started doing these listening lunches, best thing I ever did. So get them all together and do them once a week. And you just ask them those two questions. And I've done it with departments. Then I mixed and matched and I tried different staff levels. And then I'm doing it with people around the world. And this whole go to meeting thing makes them even better. Like, this is even better than go to meeting thing. I can hear from more people. about it. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, it's a riot. So that whole being able to listen about what's the one thing that you as the leader are doing that's shooting mm-hmm. your company in the foot. And, you know, you got to, you really got to be prepared to whatever they say. You got to, <laughs> you got to hear it. You may not like it. I don't have to agree with it, but I damn well better hear it. And then what's the one thing that we're doing that's magical that we don't want to lose? Those are like the only two questions you ever got to ask them. Guys, hope you're enjoying this episode. Please check out one of our sponsors at aimforcoaching.com. AIM stands for Achieve, Inspire, and Motivate, and that's exactly what they'll do to help you to seek and exceed your goals. They're life coaching for all ages, experiences, and backgrounds. Please check them out. You won't regret it. Thank you. I love that. I might actually start incorporating that and bring trying to bring that back to us because I think 
have being able and then at the same time you know there's little things in teams and you know people can get frustrated or you know disgruntled or whatever at the end of the day you still have the same vision but then it's nice to every once in a while you have a checkpoint because then it's like oh yeah this is what I love and hey if you can improve this that'd be great and then it's like cool problem solved moving on <laughs> and then you get to know people in your company in a deeper level you got to say it though. You can't just say what I don't like. You got to say, what is the one thing my CEO is doing that's shooting the company in the foot? That's fair. You want to be, you want to be really kind of Purposeful. stark with that language because you want to give them a lot of permission. You got to give them permission to get real. Otherwise you're going to get a bunch of get real with you. They're not going <laughs> to tell you the real. Oh, you know, I'd like different coffee in the, in the, <laughs> in the cafeteria, some other baloney like that. Right. You got to, got to really open it up and give them total Very permission to kind of, and, and you got to use words like, yeah, that was a really stupid thing that I did. I can't believe I did that. I'm so sorry that I did that. And then, and always you got to, as a leader, you got to own it yourself. It's not, oh, I can't believe we did that. Or I can't believe that that person over there who works for me did that. No, it's me. It's my, anything that happens that uh, is bad is my responsibility. Anything that's good, our team did it. Exactly. Right? If you want to be thinking about that, you want to frame it that way. It'll make people more comfortable when they're talking with you. They'll yeah. be more likely to tell you the truth. And if they tell you the truth, you're going to make it better. Yeah. (laughs) How to be a good leader right there. So then um, let's talk a little bit about the company's response to COVID. Because, I mean, I've seen it everywhere. You guys, I think people really realize the value of the product, especially during these times. And you had to ramp up quickly. And how it's so if you could talk about how it's been helping and what you guys had to do to kind of meet the demand. Mm. So it was like nothing I've ever seen in my life. It was incredible. Now, we got lucky. Our chief commercial officer is a guy named Greg Lamad, and he is wicked smart. He lives in Paris, and he had been running our international business. And so I'm talking to him a couple times a day. This is back in early January. We see this thing bubbling up in China, and we're like, you know what? Let's go talk to the Chinese government and see if we can help them because we're not in China. And that got us talking about it, interested, poking around at it. We're like, you know, this thing is going to come to the U.S. This is not... This is not good. So we start nudging the throttles ahead a little bit, talking to our head operations. Hey, you know, go order some more parts. Just start ordering some stuff. Start beefing up just a little bit, just bumping along. Then it starts to show up the first week of February. It's showing up in uh, in Europe. And Greg's calling me up and he's like, dude, this is not going to be good. Then everything goes dead quiet. We, you know, now we're, we're bumping it up more. We're bumping it up more. Okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. We built a set of plans where, you know, Lindsay Becker, our, our HR VP, she was talking to the person at the hospital in charge of COVID and the person, uh, the superintendent of all the schools, because we figured if the poop's going to hit the fan, those two people are going to know about it first, and we're going to lock our business down, and we're going to send everybody home. And uh, do you know that when that happened, that March 13th, because we live in the snow belt, you know, from time to time, our plant shuts down because of snow days, but our customers still need products. So we had already built all the telecommunications infrastructure that our customer service people on snow days stayed home. They fire their computer up and they just take orders and the customer has no clue that they're not talking to somebody that's, you know, at the, at the Galactic headquarters. So within a day, we were literally fully functional everywhere. In, uh, in about a four-week period, we increased our production capacity by six-fold. It was like nothing I ever seen. Our theoretical production capacity, we'd never actually done it. Our theoretical capacity was 100 units a week. And within, like I said, within three, four weeks, 
we jammed those throttles to the firewall and we were it was just amazing what our team did we uh we were just inundated and then it happened again in july and in july it was just but by july we now had experience mm -hmm. by july we were we had learned how to run multiple ships we were adding more production lines we had dramatically increased our hitting power and i didn't take my foot off the pedal when it slowed down there in the end of may keep building keep going we built up crazy amount of inventory well july came and guess what every single customer that needed anything got it right then nobody waited wow. i was very very and that's around the world i i, I love it. there was some time when they were sound like the government was going to not let us export stuff and we're like okay go get a bunch of stuff and go get it on a, on a plane right now and go get it into our 3pl in amsterdam i'm going to take care of customers around the world unless we're actually at war with them we're going to go serve them right people are people everywhere we go yeah so it's like nothing I ever seen with this team. I mean, those production people were working 10, 12 hours a day, six days a week, flat out. They couldn't go. Remember what it was like, right? There was no toilet paper on the shelves. Oh, it was insane. So you remember Talia, the woman who was the trainer, mm -hmm. right? Talia took my truck and went around and started talking to all of the supermarket uh, managers about buying toilet paper in bulk. And they're like, no way, no way. And then she found a guy at Market Basket because she told him what she was trying to do. So every week we were giving our production people goodie bags. I mean, who oh would have thought God. in America that you would give goodie <laughs> bags of freaking toilet paper, right? To your production team. And they would be going, oh my God, this is so special. I can't believe you're giving me toilet yeah. paper, right? In America, give me a break. But oh my gosh. But you guys figured out what was going to stress them. I mean, if they're at work all day, they're not getting the first shipment of toilet paper trying to run to the store. You figured out right. what they were worried about and how to at least like a little bit ease that right. stress. Right. Every day, Lindsay and I would be on the production floor and we were telling stories because every day we were getting through Salesforce the, uh, on the chatter posts, more stories about patients. And you tell people the why. You tell them the why. Here's why I need you to do this. And you tell them what the mission is and the why and then get out of their way. And these people did an amazing job all the way through the organization. So it was really something to say. It has... It has fundamentally transformed our business. We don't, we, we, it's like we stepped into a time machine and then stepped back out three years later. We, it didn't change the play that we were running, emergency departments and the biggest hospitals in the country. But wow, wow, have they figured it out. And so now we spent the summer, we, we expanded our field clinical education team and we just flooded the zone and all those, we opened up so many big new, we call them gold hospitals. They're the largest hospitals in the US, top 1,000. Mm -hmm. We just opened up so many of them, it's remarkable. And then we spent all summer long teaching them not only how to treat type 1 respiratory distress, which is oxygenation, the COVID patients, but also type 2, patients that were hypercapnic. And that, you know, conventional wisdom says you can't ventilate those patients. And with our technology, you can. And all of a sudden, like, we were starting to have aha moments all over the Northeast where, where doctors are going, you're kidding me. I am <laughs> ventilating a COPD patient with CO2 levels in their blood that are crazy. And I can't believe I'm doing it with a nasal cannula. This is unbelievable. It's like a black swan event for them. So it's been, it's been pretty remarkable in terms of how our people responded, how to customer. I tell you what, last night coming back from uh, building a makeup cabinet for my daughter in Boston, <laughs> um, ended up this guy who his wife is in an ICU in uh, Powell, Tennessee, mm -hmm. reaches out to me to say thank you. 
uh, it, it was telling me what this technology was doing for his wife. She was at 40 liters a minute, 100% up by O2, and they were not intubating. They had all the stuff right next to the bed to intubate this lady, but they weren't going to have to do it. And it's stuff like that. It's like you, you just, you're, you're never going to forget things like that to happen. No, that's outstanding. The way you, one, you've been able to treat patients and more patients, but two, you guys saw it coming. You were proactive, and I think that shows the great leadership. I know you, you know, very humble, but I lucky. think it's a, no, it's <laughs> luck. No, I'm not kidding. It's fair. Greg Ramon and I talking to each other and just looking at this, going. I'll tell you what we did not do. Many times you see a failure of imagination. People don't have the ability to imagine how bad something could get. They don't even want it. They fail to, you see it in V&V all the time, right? Mm -hmm. See it when uh, new engineers are, are got a product, they, they, they just lack imagination about what could really go wrong. We didn't suffer from that lack of imagination. We thought about how bad this could be, you know? And we got ready for it. Oh, and you, you were, the fact that you already had the infrastructure and then we're like, hey, just in case, let's do all these things, you were set. Um, and it made a difference because that means that you could help more of those patients and use your therapies for the best. So yep. that's amazing. My wife has given me the hook here. So if okay. <laughs> you got I one have, more question and we'll wrap okay. it up. Okay. If you're able to give one piece of advice to young professionals, people early in their career, who are trying to get in a position like you, what would it be? Nobody be like first 10 years work. of their career. Yeah. Say nobody ever died. Nobody ever died of hard work. Right? <laughs> yep. Hey, my first 10 years of my career, my wife was a single mother and we were married, but she raised those kids. She built our home. I spent every minute building my tool bag and I didn't know at the time that's what I was doing. I was just voracious consumer of information. I read fast. I don't forget much. And, you know, I just, I grew up on a dairy farm. I know how to work hard, right? I, I, it's just, that's what you do. But I collected credentials like you couldn't believe. Did you know I'm a certified fraud examiner, a certified turnaround professional? I'm certified in production and inventory management. I'm a CPA. I have a Series 7 license. I have a commodities broker's license. You name the credential and I earned it at that age because I was constantly reading, studying, thinking about it and building the set of skills, right? Mm -hmm. So my advice is nobody ever died of hard work. Go, go, go like crazy, right? And make sure that you're doing something that when you're, when you're 80 years old and you're looking back on your life, you know what? That was worth doing. That was important. You know, I'm going to look at all those patients and I'm going to remember that because then you'll never work a day in your life. I would have done all of these jobs. I would have paid them to get to do it. So have the fire, right? Yep. It's important. Right. Thank you so it much. Is. I know you have to run, but this was such a valuable. This is one of my favorite ones we've done so far. And I think people are going to love it. People are going to dive in. They're going to look you up. They're going to look Vapotherm up if they don't know about it here in California. Um, you guys are doing amazing work. So I appreciate you spending the time. Well, I've had fun. I wish you the best and you keep in touch. I want to keep an eye on your career, right? So maybe sometime you're going to come back to the East Coast. <laughs> Will do. Thanks again. All right. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye now.
thanks again, Joe, for coming on. I think everyone who listens to this is going to learn so much. And I mean, you hear it in how he talks. He's so humble, yet such an amazing leader and such a good head on his shoulders and the way his mind thinks. Um, I think everyone can learn a lot. So I urge you to look him up, look Vapotherm up, really see how much you can learn about other companies and other people and how they're doing it and try and inspire yourself because that's how I feel right now. I feel inspired after that interview. So really excited and I hope you enjoy. Please follow us on all the platforms we have. You can find it in our link tree in our bio. So thanks again.